Welcome everyone to Paranormal Roundtable. I'm your host, Josh Turner, also known as Wolf or Big Bad Wolf or mean, angry guy that deserves to be trolled and trolls people back and then makes them upset and then they go cry. Uh, (laughs) You call me whatever you want. I really don't care. I'm with my co-host here, Barton Nunley. You want to say hi, Barton? Hi, everybody. So doing well tonight. Barton is the author of Inhumanoids. In case you don't know, you've been living under a rock. It's the greatest book about this subject that I've ever read. Uh, but we got a guy on tonight that's written some books, and he has some experiences. He's no slouch, and he's been uh, through the ringer when it comes to the paranormal. And we're going to get to that in a second. But first, uh, let me uh, drop what's going on here. We're going to be at the Bigfoot Conference on the on October. 14th, 15th, and 16th. Is that correct, Barton? I want to make sure that that's correct. That's correct. And, uh, yeah, so my esteemed colleague will be flying in to uh, participate in that, and he'll be there to sign books, and I'll have merchandise to sell, T-shirts, and uh, whatever, post whatever, all kinds of stuff. So you guys show up, and and we'll all have a good time. Lyle Blackburn will be there along with our friend Ken Gerhard and uh, Craig Woolheater and a bunch of other people. So we we have uh, groups too. Barton has Inhumanoids with Barton Nunley, and I have Paranormal Roundtable, and I have Paranormal Prayer Group, Prayer Group, which is mine and my wife's, and then my wife has Paranormal Lounge. And then there are several other groups that I'm part of or an admin of. And so go join those groups, um, Dogman Werewolf Discussion. I'm an admin in that, and there's, just, there's a whole bunch of them. But anyways, uh, Quad Coalition Sciences, um, if you need a list or you want to you want to be a part of any of those groups, just hit me up. And if you want to be friends on Facebook, please let me know that you're a listener of the show. So I, I, I otherwise I'm not going to accept it. I'm just telling you right now, it's not going to happen. Um, also, Instagram nine forty is my handle. And it's Instagram nine forty and Josh Turner at prtpodcast.com. That's the email address you can reach me at Josh Turner at prtpodcast.com, or you can hit me up on Facebook if we're friends and on Messenger. Okay, so that being said. Um, the last thing, I guess, uh, the Tuesday's live stream that we do, Barton is always in the chat. Um, uh, he, he's sometimes we, we call him up and, and he's, uh, eating chicken fajitas, which is his favorite dish. And, and he can't right. talk every Tuesday night, <laughs> every Tuesday, Tuesdays and Friday. Yeah. yeah every t- sometimes Saturday. Tuesday and if, if, is when we do the, uh, we do the live stream. And so we usually go in about eight o'clock and we go for three hours. Now the guy that I'm about to to bring on is my guest. He's been on the live stream. And, uh, so I'm going to, but he hasn't, you know, he has a lot to talk about. So we're going to do this on the, on the podcast so he can get all this information out there. And, uh, so want to introduce yourself, uh, Patrick. I am Patrick Meekin. I have authored, uh, technically four books altogether. There was, uh, the, the second two are second editions, uh, of the first two, but they are, uh, greatly expanded lots of new information in the second editions uh those books are uh, nightmare in holmes county and 225th street and i am working on a couple books for the future as well yeah and me and patrick actually spoke at length a couple probably two or three times before he actually came on my show which was last october because this is 2022 as as of this recording this is late september and um, you had been on Tony Merkel's uh, show, 
And it was funny because then I went on Tony Markle's show. He recorded with you and then he, the, the one day and then the next day he recorded with me. And both times something weird happened. And so, and then you came on my show the day after, which was really weird. Um, and we had a little audio problems or whatever. And it was like, he had told me, and he goes, that, he goes, that I was record, that's the guy I was recording with, you know? And I was like, oh, it was Patrick. So we recorded, you know, back to back, which was, it was just kind of a weird little thing that happened. We, none of us knew that, um, until after it had happened. But, uh, Tony's a good guy. He's got a great show. And he was, he was at our, our conference, right, Barton at, uh, in Paris, t- uh, Tennessee at our right. dog, dog man conference. But, That's uh, cool. so let's get started here. Patrick, how long have you been, have you had experiences with the paranormal? Like what all has happened in your life? Let's start from when you were young. Okay. I mean, there, there are things that are interesting, <laughs> um, when I was young, um, you know, as far as full on being in a haunting situation, um, that didn't happen until, you know, that started around, uh, 2001 into 2002, uh, before that though, I mean, I, there, there were little weird things, you know, when I growing up, uh, I always found the paranormal and, and things like that, uh, interesting. Um, for some reason, you know, my dad would take us to the library every week and, and, uh, I would a lot of times get books about the paranormal, but, um, you know, there were, I had some little odd experiences, uh, growing up that, you know, I just thought they were strange. You know, as I've gotten older and have gotten a better understanding on the paranormal, I think they're <laughs> even more interesting. But, um, you know, I had I had some weird things, you know, probably some were divine intervention type of situations. I remember one time this was not a divine intervention. I don't know what this was. Uh, we had a wooded area behind our house and uh, it was in the spring and, you know, everything was nothing but mud up on the hill. Uh behind the house and uh me and my dad and my brother went up there i'm gonna guess i was probably four years old or something i wasn't very old and uh playing it my dad walked out he was like trying to build this little cabin thing for us and uh he said don't don't come out here because it's too muddy and i'm standing there now my brother was actually kind of standing behind me but i swore i saw and i, I always would say it like this because i was a kid you know but i would say but I saw John, but he looked all blurry. I would always say it like that. I swore I saw it looked like my brother, but it was like a kid walking out of the muddy area. He had on uh, a red and blue jacket with little baseballs on it, exactly like what my brother had. And he had a stocking cap on. So I walked out in the mud. And, of course, I got stuck in the mud. <laughs> my dad had to pull me out. My boots stayed in the mud. But, um, you know – my brother was behind me the whole time. So I have no idea what that was, you know, but that, that story, you know, people in my family can confirm. Yeah. That's been the same story since I was probably four, you know, but, um, I had things like that. I had, uh, there was an incident when I was, I believe six. And I think this was kind of a divine intervention situation. I had gotten my tonsils taken out and I was uh, coming home from the hospital and my mom, forgot to bring my winter coat when she came to pick me up from the hospital. And so they wrapped me up in a blanket. And uh, when we got home, we had to drive up a a slight uh, hill that our driveway was on a hill. Um, So 
you know, all the cars in the olden days, were they were heavy, but they were also rear wheel drive. So my mom tried to get a run to get up the driveway and got about halfway and couldn't get any farther. And we had a brick wall that went up the left-hand side of the driveway. And it was probably four feet tall, something like that. I don't know. And um, so my mom can't, she's stuck. She can't get the car up the driveway. So she stops and she gets out and she's trying to get me out. She gets me out of the car and all of a sudden the car, even though it's in park, it starts sliding backwards because it's all slippery. And the car door hits her in the back, knocks her into me. I fall down. I fall underneath the car. And uh, my mom yelled, Jesus. And when she yelled, Jesus, the car stopped. And she pulled me out, you know, and I was okay. I can remember it plain as day. I remember the little uh, Band-Aid I had from an IV <laughs> was hanging off of me because, uh, uh, you know, the getting knocked to the ground and everything. But, um, you know, that, that was kind of an interesting thing as, I, as I've gotten older and thought about that. You know, that probably was divine intervention because I would have got ran over by the car otherwise, you know. But there were little, little weird things, um, different times that, you know, nothing to the level of what I experienced in Holmes County or at a 225th Street. But, you know, I always had that interest and I always believed in, you know, the, the – God and the devil and God versus the devil and um, angels and demons. I always believed in those things. And I always believed in demon possession. I had relatives that had um, attended churches in another state and they had stories that there were, uh, you know, people actually had demons at church and they, they had to cast them out of them. And uh, one of my relatives and, and her husband actually helped with that, you know, and the stories were like, man, that's interesting. Um, and the funny part about that, the way they described how demons behaved and how they made the person behave when they were trying to avoid being cast out and the things they would say, I found out years later, the, you know, when I actually was involved in exorcisms myself, yep, that's exactly how they act. That's exactly the kind of things they say, you know? So, um, I kind of had that background just from my upbringing and, you know, I think probably a lot of that was from being in church. My dad had had a lot of uh, paranormal experiences growing up. So, um, you know, he, we're Irish and there's a lot of weird stuff when you go back into the Irish ancestry. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But, um, you know, I, I did have strange things, you know, here and there growing up. Yeah. And when, when I, and I, and I didn't know like how much, I just remember we talked and you had told me that you had a couple little weird things happen, but oftentimes, you know, it's not like somebody just moves into a haunted house and a bunch of stuff starts happening. When you talk to those people and you interview them, there is usually a prelude. Something has happened because I, I'm thoroughly convinced too. Like there's people that are like, nothing's ever happened to me. I think a little something has probably happened to everyone, but I'll say this. There are people who are really honestly just truly closed off to this stuff and they don't have any, there's no spiritual and whatever they, I mean, you, they could be in a room with four or five people who are experiencing something and they won't see anything. They won't experience anything. It's, it, I, and it's really scary to me. That's more scary than being somebody that's open to it. Because to me, that means you're pretty much spiritually dead. You know, you don't have a connection with with that at all. Then then it's like, and I've I've known people like that. They're just like, 
and they tend to not have um, any kind of spiritual spirituality um, whatsoever. And so I agree. Whether it's yeah, it's like it's it's either it's willful, you know, or or I don't know what it is, but it, it's there. Um, and I've seen so many <clears throat> like cases of that, like people just like, well, nothing's ever happened to me, and I don't believe in this, and I don't believe in that, and they've moved into a house. Every member of their family, including some of their friends, will see shadow people and stuff will happen around them. And that person will be either in complete denial or they just aren't experiencing it. And, and they're perfectly OK with just, you know, they're, that's, it's, it's around them, but it's not, they're not affected by it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think sometimes they, um, they purposely push it out of their mind and just deny it. And that's how they deal with it. Yeah, that happens. It's like willful ignorance. I've seen it. So many times, I just had something weird happen right now. That is really weird. Okay. All right. Well, okay, Patrick, every time we record something weird happens, I'm going to be real completely honest with you. I just saw something in the next room. That's weird. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had, I was on Horsefly Chronicles. Oh, uh, I was interviewed by them and they had, they had all kinds of stuff. Lights, a light bulb blew out and then came back on uh, lights flickering all kinds of weird stuff when they were interviewing me. And and I think one reason why is just simply the angle I come from. I, don't get me wrong. When you deal with the paranormal, especially when you're dealing with demonic stuff, um, you're going to get messed with. That's just all there is to it. But I think sometimes if yeah. you're, if, when you're exposing that stuff, it doesn't want to be exposed. So um, you will get messed with. And, uh, you know, I will say this too, as far as like previous experiences, I had things happen. Uh, okay. So when I was 16 years old, my dad was murdered. Okay. And he actually, I mean, well, it's a horrible thing, but it's like, Patrick. yeah, it, it was, it was a horrible thing to go through. I'm telling you, but uh, it's like, I don't think you could exit this world in a better way than he did. As far as um, he saved somebody else's life after he got shot right through the heart, you know, how that even happened. How, how did he do that? You know, because the, the the bullet went right, got him right through the side, went right through his aorta, lodged on the other side of his body and between his ribs, and he um, he still while the guy was trying to reload his gun, he got somebody else out of the room and they escaped and survived, you know. But the weird part wow. was leading up to that. I had some very weird things happen. Um, the night before that, uh, there was a basketball game. And I lived for basketball at that time, you know, I, that's all I thought about. And me and my brother, I was a sophomore, he was a senior and I wanted to dress varsity bad. I mean, I worked my butt off that summer before my sophomore year. I, I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to play varsity bad as a sophomore. And, um, I started off on reserves and it was the second game of the season. We had an away game and my mom and dad's car broke down that night. So as far as I knew, they were not at the game. And uh, it was, like I said, it was an away game far away. And the referees, now think about how weird this is. The referees were late getting to the game. So the whole game was delayed. Um, we ended up playing, we tear up, you know, that's a term we used to use back in the olden days. You know, we, we played very well. I was leading score. Um, I got taken out at the, at the end of the game. And I sat down on the bench and I looked up and all of a sudden I saw my mom and dad were sitting across the court from me. I didn't even know they were there. But it, the strange part was I looked and I looked right at my dad and he was looking right at me. And it was across the court. And it was like 
it's hard to describe. It was like he stood out from everybody else. And I thought, well, that's neat. I didn't even know they were here and they made it to the game. And, and, um, I just, you know, was leading score, you know, and I might even dress varsity tonight. Well, they ended up not having me dress varsity, but my brother was leading score on varsity that night. And, uh, the next morning I saw my mom's Bible sitting there. It was a Saturday morning and my mom was in at the church working and my dad was at work. And, um, I now the funny part was I picked up my mom's Bible and I just started flipping through it. And I just happened upon the very first Bible verse I ever read in my life when I was like six years old. And it's Psalm 37 verse one. And it says, uh, fret not thyself because of evildoers and be not envious against the workers of iniquity. And when I read it, I thought, man, that's the first Bible verse I ever read in my life. And I don't even think I've ran across it again until now, but I always remembered that it said, fret not thyself because of evildoers. So next thing I know, the phone rings. I answer the phone and uh, it's somebody, you know, working with my dad saying, get to the hospital. Your dad's been in an accident. So right then my sister walks in and I said, hey, we got to get to the hospital. Dad was in a wreck or something, you know. So we go tear off to the hospital and um they end up taking us back in this room back behind the emergency room. And they are, you know, they, they my mom was there already. Somebody, my aunt, I think it was, picked her up at the church and took her to the hospital. And uh, we said, what's going on? And my mom said, somebody shot him. And uh, we were all in there praying. And my, my pastor came in and we're all in there praying. And um, while we're praying, I said out loud, I said, he's not going to make it. And my mom said, don't say that. Why would you say that? And I said, I don't know. It's something about the game last night. Now, I can't describe this because it was like I was discerning something spiritually. And sometimes putting something that's very spiritual into the flesh doesn't make sense. You know, but um, I knew that the way he stood out from everybody else was significant. When I saw him sitting across the court, it was like he, it was, it was very strange, very similar to how that Bible verse jumped off the page at me earlier that on Saturday morning, right before I got that phone call. And a doctor came in the room then and told us that he didn't make it. And it was like chaos in the room. I mean, it was terrible, but, um, you know, right after that now, and it settled, you know, it set in my mind then that's, this was murder. Somebody murdered him, you know, and uh, the next thing that comes into my mind is uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Because, you know, what you want to do when that happens is you want to go kill that person. That's all you do. It. You want to find him and you want to kill him. And that's the first thing that came into my mind was vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And then, you know, the other thing was what out of all the scriptures in the Bible, what scripture could be more relevant to a 16 year old kid who's going to find out in a, in a matter of minutes that his dad was murdered, what scripture could be more relevant than fret not thyself because of evildoers? In other words, don't worry about what evildoers are going to do. You know, God's in control. Don't worry, you know. And I believe um, that gave me, I, I felt like from the time I was six years old and read that, God was preparing me for what was going to happen when I was 16. And I believe he allowed that to happen because I think my dad was ready to go. And I think that he you know, he saved somebody else's life. And 
you know, a bunch of people in my dad's family became Christians after that because of, of him, you know? So, you know, that, that's kind of a strange situation as far as, um, you know, what are the, how, how could that be coincidental? You know? Yeah, it's not, that's, that's absolutely not. And it's, it's, it's sad that he died protecting, you know, somebody, I knew somebody like that, that, they were they were killed. It was a friend of my a friend of ours, a bunch of my friends here. That he, same thing. He he died protecting uh, his girlfriend's sister from a stalker, mm-hmm. and it was pretty horrible. And he still managed to, well, this situation was a little different. He still managed to kill the guy, but I mean, you know, it was he died, and it was awful. You know, he was basically stabbed to death. He just bled out. You know, and it was just horrific. Yeah. I mean, it was a horrific thing and it stunned everybody. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've heard stories like that, too. I mean, another friend of mine was murdered down in, in Venezuela. This is back, you know, back when before the country totally collapsed. And he was a, he was a person like that, too. And he had actually saved somebody. But um, when you hear about stories like that, you know, it's almost like I, I'm not saying that, you know, when when that happens, but like when you commit a selfless act at the end of if your life, like I really believe that that the that the spirit of self sacrifice is strong. And well, what's you know you know what the thing is, uh, no greater life, no greater love hath a man than he who lays down his life for his friends. That's right. That's that's scripture. Yeah. You know, that's so right. there's no greater love than that. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I mean, I don't think you can finish life (laughs) on a much higher note than that, even though you, you're, it's your last thing in life, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm willing to bet any one of us three here would be doing the same thing. I know you, Barton and Patrick, after multiple conversations with you, I just think that that's the kind of quality of people, you know, and I just, I know I would do it. I mean, who who wouldn't lay down their life for their friends or their loved ones or their family? In fact, I've stepped, I'm not sitting here bragging or anything. I don't want to make it sound that way, but I've stepped in harm's way multiple times for my friends. I used to run a nightclub that was, you know, it was bad, bad time in my life, bad things were going on. And I'm glad I'm out of that. But many, many times I put my life on the line to, to protect people from evildoers. And, um, I was stabbed twice and, and I, you know, was stabbed on a Saturday, woke up on a Tuesday I'm in the hospital, wow. and they're like, "You've been stabbed. You lost four pints of blood. You should be dead." Blah blah blah. Wow. Uh, and uh, yeah, m- many things happened. I've had a lot of weird things happen, and almost got ran over by a crazy person um, that was trying to kill me. And a bunch of my friends, you know, rallied around and and basically started just pelting his car with bottles and <laughs> rocks. And um, and then I ended up like grabbing a female that was a girlfriend of a friend of ours. Um, that I'm friends with these people to this day, you know, and I pushed her out of harm's way. And just as this person was about to hit me, I jumped over, I jumped on top of another car and he smacked into it. And I rolled off of that car and wow. it was like, dude, I saw my life flash wow. from my eyes many times, many times, been shot at multiple times, had my truck shot up, you know? Um, but you know, you're living that life. That's what you, you, you know, I, I never once thought, man, why is this happening to me? I knew. <laughs> knew why it was happening because I was living that lifestyle. But I have little patience now for criminality. I just do not. I don't have any, you know, and when people commit it or whatever and they're like, oh, I got to do this to feed my family. Won't you get a job, fool? You know? Exactly. I did that, you know? I fell on my knees and I asked God to forgive me 
And I, I turned my life back to Christ because I had backslid to the point of almost no return. And before I went over the edge, God kind of yanked me out and said, this is it, do or die. And I saw my grandmother in a dream and she was, she had been passed away, but she was very sullen and sad. And she said, you need to get yourself right. She's like, the end for you is coming if you don't wow. change. And so that was very profound. Uh, some people will say, oh, that's just your brain using your grandma. It's like, no, it was my grandmother and I believe it. And I think God allowed her to talk to me and I see agree. me. I agree. And I changed my life. And and so I went to work as an $8 an hour security guard in, in a parking garage. And I, I toiled for two over two and a half years. Finally, God, you know, my ship came in and I started building my business. And I'm more I'm successful and do what I do now. But I tell people like my nephews and my godchildren, the people that I've raised as my own, you know, and I've told them, I said, don't ever let this world fool you into thinking that, that there's an easy way because there's not. You either and you do what what is supposed to be done. You do it right because that money you make from all that ill-gotten whatever it's all salted anyway. It does it goes away. It doesn't stay, you know. And I think that what your dad did was admirable. It reminds me of the story of the Alamo, you know. Um, when the, when the, the 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 legend really quickly here, and I'll let you talk, Patrick. But I want to say this really quickly because your story about your dad's very inspiring, and. The legend of the Alamo, after they killed, they slaughtered the Texans, uh, the, the Texans, of course, is exacted a heavy toll on the Mexicans. They killed up to 1,600 by some estimates, um, even some of the higher end estimates, maybe were 1,800 people, whereas the Texans lost like 160. So you look at the difference in the, in the numbers, the Texans, they, they, they made the, they made them shed their blood for that, for that, uh, to take that mission. And afterwards, Santana, he, he sent a, an a detachment to go to burn it down. They had marched on. They were getting ready to head to, uh, to, to Houston or whatever, um, at the San Jacinto, and prepare for the battle against San Houston's army. And he said, what, what do we do with the mission? He's like, well, we don't need it. Because it was not strategic. It was just trying to – he was just being arrogant. So he took it for no real reason. Um, and he, he put it to the torch, and uh, he tried to. He burned the – the village that was around it. But the story goes when they went to burn the Alamo and supposedly there was like 16 uh, soldiers who had gone over there. So this was seen by, by a, a group of them. There wasn't just a few, like two or three guys. Um, they, this little unit had gone over there to do their job and they were met by, uh, I think they said seven, uh, like what they, but some of them described as angels, others described them as Diablos. Um, but they were, they were met by these entities and they were told, no, you cannot burn this down. This, this building is going to stand. And it, and it is stand, it stands for the spirit of sacrifice that these men lay down their lives. And these guys literally fell on their knees and they were afraid and they ran into the church, you know, and be, began to ask for forgiveness and, that's the story. And supposedly a couple of them stayed behind and became monks and actually were caretakers until the day they died of the Alamo. Um, and Santa Ana, the ones that returned, he asked them if, if they had done it. Well, a couple of them lied and said, yeah, yeah, it's done. And they just kind of went along with it. But then later on, it was found out that they didn't do it. And when he confronted them, they told him what happened. Of course, he hung them because Santa Ana was not a good guy. He was a dictator, but but the Alamo—that is the legend, the story that that supposedly it surrounds the Alamo. That 
these guys went to burn it down and maybe God, you know, just said, no, it's not going to happen. This is going to stand for, as a, as a symbol, you know, for, and against tyranny and sacrifice. And so it, it did, you know, and so that's the legend anyway. But I think that when you're, when you do what your dad did, you know, you know that he was a devout Christian man. Right. And so he's, you know, where he's supposed to be. And can I ask you a question though? Did they catch the guy that did it? Yeah. He's in prison. Yeah. Yeah. He's in prison. I think there's a lot more to the story. I've had things shared with me that, uh, there were some other, uh, people at fault that, um, but, uh, a lot of things were covered up. So basically he took the blame. He, he did it. He's the guy who pulled the trigger. No doubt about that. But, um, there's other people that there's a lot of things that should never happen in the first place that, that led to that, you know? But, um, one thing I will say, you know, I think there's, there's certain people that, and I think part of it's a calling in your life and it's something God puts in you because some people don't have it and other people do. And that's that thing that, you are when when it comes down to it and you got something a job you got to do and so, you might die there's something else that takes over i i personally think it's a holy spirit but i also think it's something that's born into you um as far as there's a trait it's a leadership trait probably and um when it when it happens you 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 do what needs done without even thinking about it it's just like something else takes over um I've had a situation like that. I probably had multiple situations like that, but one in particular, um, it was a situation to stop a suicide. And um, I'm not, I don't like heights, you know, and the whole way going to where we had to go to stop this, I was praying. I was in an elevator with somebody else and I was saying, God, don't let this person jump. And I didn't really care what the other guy thought. I really didn't care. I was like, you can, I, you, I, I'm going to pray and I don't care if you like it or not, you know. But uh, we got up to where where this person was, and they were going to jump, all right, and they were right on the edge, and it was high up. And without even thinking, I just remember, like, I glanced at the one other guy, like, because I remember thinking if you try to grab him and he falls, they're going to say you killed him. But if you don't, he's definitely jumping, and he's not even – he's so – there's a point when somebody gets to that stage that they are oblivious to – their mind is made up. They're oblivious to what's going on around them. He was not responding to any – any uh, attempts to, uh, th that we had to try to make, uh, you know, uh, contact with him, uh, you know, he, he couldn't, it was like, he wasn't even hearing us. And I just remember I glanced at the one other guy and then it was like something else took over. And I think that was prob probably because of the prayers, but um, I just grabbed him and I didn't, and I pulled him back over and that was that. And, uh, you know, I didn't even think about it. Like, Till later, you know, one of my relatives, I told, I told my mom about the situation, you know, not going into great detail, but told her where it was at and what happened. And her and my sister were driving past that location. And she's like, he could have fallen off. He could have got killed. Look how, look how easy that would have been for him to fall over the edge. I never thought about that though. You know, I didn't. It's like something else takes over and you do what needs done. And I think when you're saying that stuff, Josh, about getting knifed and all those things. It, it, it's like, you know what I'm talking about? There's something else that just takes over. And and some people don't have that. Some people are, they're going to be like the guy in private Ryan that was hiding while his friends getting, you know, stabbed to death. And he, the, he he's hiding and crying because he's afraid to do anything. Mm -hmm. But um, there's, there's other people that there's just something. And I think it's born into you. I really do. I don't think you can teach it. <laughs> 
I don't think you can, I don't think you can train that into a person, you know? And you know, and what you were saying about that, I've known some real cowards in my life too. I'm not Me one too. of them. And I can tell you right now, like they, they say a soldier dies, a coward dies a thousand deaths. A, a, a soldier dies, but once. And, you know, that's the truth right there. My dad used to always tell me that, you know, like coward cowards actually die every day. And they just, you know, look at themselves in the mirror and knowing that you're a coward. I can't imagine that because that's – it's also an ungodly thing. Yeah, because, well, the ones you know, I've known, they, 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 they think they can fool everyone by lying then. And then they make up – you know, they become narcissistic and they just – well, a narcissist is never going to give his life for somebody else anyway, you know. But mm-hmm. um, they um, they just make up stories. They make up stories about how, you know, whatever they are. And and uh, it, it's, it's sick because you know deep in their mind and in their heart they know they're pathetic. Mm-hmm. There's just no way around that. You you know, you know. I mean, you know, and, and I've I've had guys try to try to convince me of these crazy stories, you know, like, oh yeah, there was this guy who was six seven and I crawled up and choked him out in front of all these people and blah blah blah. Where are all these people at? Because I've I've heard no one else mention this ever. <laughs> and you know, you're in the streets and you know who's who. And I've mm-hmm. kn- and I've known guys too that had power and they'll send all their people to go do everything they don't lead from the front and they just hide in the back while all their people get you know decimated and i've just i've seen that too and it's like dude and and i've even converted people to my side from that and i'm like look at your look at your leader dude he doesn't care about you he's throwing you to the wolves literally and you're over here being devoured you know because because of what because he's a coward himself and he's throwing you at the you know, to fight his battles. I never did that. I was led from the front and I've always done that. I've always been that kind of person. Me yeah, challenges head on. Yeah. If you, and if you, you know, the saying is, if you have God, if God is with you, who can be against you? Exactly. You know? and, and once you're, once you're fighting the good fight, I don't back down. I mean, you know, back when I was younger, I wasn't even really fighting the good fight, but I honestly feel in my heart that God never abandoned me. He, he always had a plan for me. I always felt that, and I felt like this, you know, eventually it was revealed to me. It was like you're at that crossroads. You go where you're supposed to go and do what you're supposed to do. And I had to suffer for a couple of years, but I, I felt in my heart when I started to take pity on my, you know, taking in pity and going, oh, what was me? You know, I felt like God just kind of laid the smack down on me one day when I was sitting in this hot parking garage it was summer and it was hot in there. And I thought, is this it for me? I'm going to do this until I die. Is this, you know, and then my life just, just, I'm just shadows and dust, you know, like, and, and, and I think God kind of spoke to me in my heart and was like, this is, you're getting off easy, <laughs> you know? And when I'm ready, you'll get what you're, what you're going to get and you'll do what you're, you're going to do. And it wasn't until later on that I realized, okay, you know, and it's it's easy to talk about it and say it, but it's harder to do it. But you 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 operate on his time, not the other way around. Yep. Yeah. So right. that's exactly right. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. You know, it's it's funny. I remember uh, this goes into the paranormal a little bit, but we, I remember uh, there was a family I was helping out years ago. Um, they they've been through a lot, and uh, the uh, there was some very messed up paranormal stuff that started happening in the house and there was a reason for it there was a bad history in that house and uh, like i heard somebody like stomping on their porch and there was nobody there and i go out and i'm looking all around the outside of the house like somebody had to be here and there was nobody 
I go back in the house and I'm telling the uh, the, the mother uh, of the in the family, uh, like, listen to what just happened. And, you know, we all heard this, but, you know, she was sleeping when it happened. And um, I no more than said that. And it sounded like upstairs, the sound was like if somebody picked up a dresser and slammed it to the floor. It was like you you felt it. You felt it and you heard it, you know. And um, yeah. for some reason, I ran upstairs. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, ready to go. What's what's going on up here? You know, I found nothing out of place. But it, it's just kind of funny because I think there there's a side to, to some people that the uh, that characteristic of doing that and going after those kinds of things. Um, there there's to a lot of people that's craziness, you know. But uh, it was like I never occurred to me otherwise. I have I got to go up and deal with this, you know. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing, nothing out of place. I mean, it was it was creepy. I'll be honest, it was super creepy. But um, I don't know. I'm not saying there's never been times I'm scared because I am sometimes. Well, yeah, facing but, uh, fear that's all part of it. it. You deal with it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly, you deal with it, and uh, you know, it's I've had I have had experiences. <laughs> That were they were creepy, and when they happened, I was like, "I rebuke that in Jesus' name," and just kept going. Yeah, <laughs> all, yeah it's at, at times that's all you can do. I mean, there's times yeah. when dealing with this stuff. Now, Patrick, on, on that note, dealing with this stuff, you lived in two different places that were haunted. Yes, and, and back to back, and the, the hauntings were completely unrelated. Unrelated. Which, so you think it was the locations? Both of them were uh, based on locations. Um, one was, uh, that's the funny part because they, they were consecutive. These houses were consecutive. I, I, the first one, me and my ex-wife built it. And, uh, the second one was built, you know, my goodness, many, many years before I was decades before I was born. And as it turned out, there was a suicide in that house, um, over a decade before I was born. And that house had been haunted ever since. But um, that's the funny part. You know, a lot of people would say, well, how do you know something didn't follow you from the first house? And part of me is happy when people ask that because that means they have a little bit of knowledge because things can follow you. Yeah. You know, um, matter of fact, there's a there's a uh, chapter in the one book called Stepping in Gum because that I got that from Ed Warren. Ed Warren said, you know, sometimes uh, being haunted is like stepping in gum. You take it with you. You know, so um, I, I think it's good when people would ask that question, but I can say, you know, definitively, no, nothing followed me from the first house. Um, we did a successful exorcism on that house. The situation changed, I mean, literally overnight. And I moved on to, to 25th Street, you know, but um, I'll tell you, my experiences in the first house, the, the reason I named that book Nightmare in Holmes County was you know, when I realized this house is haunted and I couldn't figure out why, like, how can a new house be haunted? You know, we built this. How can it be haunted? And, um, you know, basically, like, you know, you, you, you start having these experiences and you can't, you know, you're, you're, you question yourself. Am I crazy here or what? But then there's always something confirming. Oh, no, this really happened, you know, and uh I had many, many experiences. And, you know, my last three years in that house, I was there by myself. 
And this house was in the middle of nowhere. It was not like in town. There were no neighbors very close to me. It was out in the country. I was surrounded by farms. And uh, it was not it was not a nice experience. But I named it Nightmare in Homes. That book is called Nightmare in Homes County because like I felt like I could not I felt like I kept telling my mom I would call her and, you know, listen to what just happened now. You know, that's how bad it was, you know, and um, I would tell her I feel like I'm in a nightmare and I can't wake up. It's like that haunting just went on and on and on. I mean, imagine being in a house that, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt is haunted and you're stuck there by yourself for three years. That three years seems like a long time, you know. And the total time in the house was from 2002 until 2010, you know, so there were experiences, you know, and and as is the case in most hauntings, stuff's very subtle at first. And then the longer you're there, the more it starts happening and it starts escalating. And for me, the escalation got it to its worst point um, after I was divorced and I lived there alone. And then it was kind of like the wheels fell off and, and uh, man, it was, it was creepy. You know, I had a lot of experiences that were just, you know, like you try to yell and you nothing even, you know, it's like having a nightmare again, you know, you, when you have the nightmare and you're trying to yell and nothing comes out, I had that in real life and I was, I was wide awake, you know? So, uh, wow. yeah, it, it, it was a horrific thing to uh experience but i learned a lot from it um because so, of that patrick, I, I, I can ask you patrick can i ask you if ahead. you ever came to any conclusions at, uh or answers to that question how a house that's newly built can be haunted oh yeah <laughs> i found out i found out exactly why and uh i had two different issues going on number one in holmes county that's for arguably the first largest population of Amish in the world. If it's not first, it's a close second to Lanc- Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And uh, what most people don't know, and I didn't know until I, you know, basically discerned it and then found proof, um, is that the Amish community, and I'm not saying all Amish people, but it is prevalent among the Amish is a witchcraft and Satanism. And uh, in my case, okay, you figure you're living in a, a county that is predominantly that religion, and a lot of the people in that religion around you are practicing the occult, and they're they're conjuring demons and practicing witchcraft and all this. So that alone, you're going to be in an environment that everything around you um, is dark in the first place, spiritually speaking. Well, then it gets worse when some of the people around you that are practicing these things start focusing it at you. They start directing all their curses and all their stuff at you. And uh, so that was a huge problem. So you were Amish? No. I I moved into into Holmes County from Tuscarawas County. I was not Amish. Thank God. Um, But... um, the, yeah, the people around me were either Am- Amish or Mennonite, which to me is basically the same thing, right. except the Mennonites get a few more freedoms. But right. um, the things I, I'm, I'm telling you, it, like they start, they started coming to me 
one neighbor in particular would come to my house and ask me to give him a right of way the whole length of my property so he could put a lane a gravel lane in at the bottom of my yard because he bought a piece of land and there was a a large creek right below my property it's called crab apple creek which is ends up being a significant part of the story actually but that creek also cut through his property so part of his property was landlocked because of that creek so instead of building a bridge he wanted me to give him a not sell him give him a right away the entire length of my property and i said i'm sorry i can't do that that would devalue my property and i said when it rains hard all that gravel would run right into my yard if you know if we, if we got any uh, standing water or anything i can't do that and um Little did I know, you don't tell the Amish no, because once you do that, now you're marked. And when you're marked, everything is directed at you. I'll tell you another thing. The Amish mafia is real. <laughs> that's that's not make-believe. It's a real thing. And in Holmes County, everything is um, basically caters to them. The sheriff's department, the courts, everything. So... When they're doing wrong and they're doing things to you, you basically have nobody to back you up. I called the sheriff's department on them repeatedly because of the trespassing, you know, just constantly provoking me. And um, nothing, not one of them ever got charged, ever. I mean, it, 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 it's bad. Wow. It's bad in Holmes County. But uh, I come to find out that the, the gentleman who, and I'm using that term loosely, the individual who wanted the right-of-way and that I, you know, very kindly said, no, I can't do that, he was a witch himself. And in a lot of forms of witchcraft, you know, most of us think, oh, a warlock's a male witch, a witch is a female witch. Witches can be either one, you know. Um, there's male witches too. And uh, he was involved in that. So, I had a lot directed at me from him. There were others as well. But, uh, you know, so I think that was a big they problem. They cursed you? You think this yes. guy put a curse on you? Yeah, there's no question in my mind about it. And another Amish wow. guy just up the road past me who always acted nice to my face, but I knew I could not trust him. Um, I found a cow skull hanging from a tree at the edge of his property. And... Um, I looked into that when, when that cow, I didn't put it together at first when the cow skull first went in, went up, I started having all kinds of so-called bad luck, all kinds of weird stuff happening over and over and over. And, um, <clears throat> I was like, what in the world? This is crazy. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, wait a second, you know, and I took pictures of the cow skull and everything. Their pictures are in the book. Well, I found out that in Odinism, which is, I've known other people who practice that, that form of witchcraft, um, sometimes they would hang a, a, a horse skull at the edge of their property to curse their neighbor. Uh, so I don't know if, if he, I thought this could be something related to Odinism or some other form of witchcraft, but there's no doubt in my it's, mind. It's not just Odinism. I'm going to cut in real quick. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, a, a guy that we just recorded with the other day, Barton knows who he is. His name's Abe. He found a donkey's uh, head on his. He stumbled over it, and it was uh, Bruhaya. He thinks yeah. it was being uh, practiced. I knew immediately what that was because 
um, I've dealt with this crap, you know, too. And so, yeah, what you're saying, it, it, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and the funny part with that, I was selling guitar parts all over the world, pickups, effects pedals, everything. So, you know, once once I'm trying to sell my house, once I got divorced, the house went on the market and the market collapsed. So I'm trying to do everything I can do to make extra money to keep my house payments going and everything. Teaching guitar lessons, selling guitar stuff. I, I thought, I love music. I'll use it to my advantage, you know. So I'm selling these things all over the world. And people in all different parts of the world are telling me the same things. You sent that priority mail, but I never got it. So now I'm out the money. I'm out the shipping for, you know, that, that you can run into a lot of money like that, you know. And yeah. uh, the, the, the funny part about this, this part in particular that I was dealing with, I remembered that an old friend of mine went to a Pentecostal church early, years earlier. And he told me one day out of the blue, and it stuck in my mind that um, his pastor believed in curses and generational curses and these things and he'd preach about it so i had talked to that pastor when uh when i was having marital problems i talked to him and he offered to help but you know my ex didn't want help so but i remembered you know he was really nice and he he seems like he knows what he's talking about so i contacted that pastor again and he said you know come to my house i'll talk to you so i went to his house his name was jim pastor jim and um he just shared, you know, basically just talked to me. He, you know, asked a little bit about what I was dealing with. And then he, he just kept talking to me about the kingdom of God and everything. And um, when, when I was about ready to leave, these other people from that church showed up. And I, it was a couple of them were my friend, my old friends, mom and dad. And he said, hey, do you want to stick around? We're going to have a Bible study. And I said, sure. You know, so I stuck around. At the end of the Bible study, they were like, he's like, hey, I think we all need to uh, pray over Patrick here. So they all prayed over me. Next day, the, the skull's gone. All the weird stuff with all these, you know, bad luck situations and all this all stopped. Now, I still had the paranormal I was dealing with, and I still wasn't out of the woods with what, you know, it took me quite a while yet before I, you know, finally had victory in that situation. But I believe the witchcraft that was being directed at me from that individual was stopped because of those people praying for me. So, I mean, it's, it, it, it's like this, the skull went down immediately and all that activity stopped. So that was pretty interesting. Wow. But I had, a, I had a lot of things. There were, there was other reasons. There's a whole nother reason why the place was haunted and it had to do with the land that we built the house on. And that's something people don't really ever think about. But what I came to find out, there were multiple issues regarding that. Because of Crabapple Creek, my property had been, you know, hundreds of years earlier. That was where the Indians had their camps because it was a beautiful rolling, the, the, the way the, the property was laid out in the fields, it was beautiful. And then there's a huge creek, so there's a water supply. So that's where they had their camps. And uh, you don't know what they were all into. I later found out there were battles fought there. There were people killed there. Pretty much if the Amish neighbors plowed, they found arrowheads. I later, a friend of mine I met later, 
he told me that he had been in that area getting arrowheads before, you know, right by my house. So there was a yeah. lot of there. That's all bad stuff. You know, people are dying Can and getting killed. What's that? Was there any, any burial mounds there, Patrick, or, or cemeteries close by? There was cemetery. It was a cemetery just down the road. I will tell you this. Um, what I ended up finding out was I lived very close to a treaty line. That treaty was called the Greenville Treaty. And I lived on the side of the treaty line where the Indians lived. Because they wouldn't abide by the treaty, they were end ended up being rounded up and shipped out west onto reservations. When that happened, they cursed all the land. And so I come along 200 years later and build a house on that land that's cursed. And the curse is in place until it's broken. It's not broken until it's broken, you know? So. Real quick, though, you know, when pe people have asked me multiple times about curses, and one of the things I tell them, and you guys tell me what you think, you, Barton and Patrick, have both lived in haunted locations like I have. That's what we all have in common. Um, <clears throat> haunted locations with Indian burial mounds and arrowheads everywhere. Yeah, I've mm -hmm. lived in three different locations like that. Well, the Comanches yep. roamed all over the area I was at, and and just right down by the railroad tracks, it was like probably not even a quarter mile from where I lived. A, a friend of mine found a, a Comanche arrowhead, and even a flint, you know, down there uh, by the creek. So, what's what's crazy is, is like when you start looking at this situation, like. I think that, that, that they can use elementals. It's a, it's a type of entities that they use um, to, to curse and, and like these sentinel-type creatures. But I think that it the, the people themselves have to kind of activate it. And I think what I mean by that is like there are people that can live there on that land and nothing's going to happen to them. But then someone else who's there could direct that energy towards you and, and not even have to really do, you know, a whole lot, you know, just because it's already there and it's eager to do harm. You know what I mean? And they're like kind of unleashing things like that. And I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> Patrick and me have talked about this at length and so have me and you Barton. And you know where I stand because I know a lot about the Amish right. and I have been uh, pretty sure I was cursed by them. And Patrick, when all that was going on, you and me were communicating, and he was like, yep, this is it, you know, because I've had a curse, uh, Vietnamese curse put on me. I've had Mexican curse put on me. Uh, you name it, dude. I've had it uh, done, and it's and I've felt the effects of these things, and I've had to dispel them, you know, in different ways. And, um, yeah, I've had things, all kinds of stuff happen, and that that's what I wanted to explain about the curses because – you know, objects can also have demonic obsession over them, too. I mean, it's just, it happens. And so anyway, proceed what you were saying, Patrick. Well, the the one thing um, I will tell you, when I when I ended up finding out, I didn't find out till the very end of 2009, uh, through, I believe it was divine intervention, I ran into an, an old friend on Facebook, uh, a girl that I had gone to grade school with. And I think she sent me a friend request and then just messaged me and said, hey, how are you? Or something to that effect. And we started talking. And I and I was like, yeah, I've seen her around town. And she always like I've seen her wearing Christian T-shirts and stuff. I'm going to I'm going to tell her what I'm dealing with, because at this point I was at wit's end. I was like, I'm I can't get this stuff to leave my house. 
And, um, and, and it was even weirder because like throughout what I had learned because of what I was going through, I had actually done deliverances on other people. And I'm, and then I would go home and I'd be like, how can I cast demons out of somebody? And then I come home, but I can't cast them out of my own house. Well, the reason why was there was a legal right that I didn't know about. And you have to deal with legal rights. A curse is a legal right for demons to be there. So I ended up finding out, you know, about the, uh, about this treaty line and these things. And one of my Amish neighbors then did tell me, yeah, people died out here and blah, blah, blah. You know, she said, we know that. We know that for a fact there were battles fought on our land and people died here. So I started praying after that. And uh, there's a certain thing that happens to me when God confirms something to me. That's a feeling I get. And it's, it's, it's all, it only happens regarding spiritual discernment. And uh, it, it's, it's a strong, intense, almost to the point that it almost hurts, intense goosebumps that go across the back of my arms and the back across my upper back. And it's extremely strong. And uh, I get it when I'm like, if I'm discerning something and I'm like, okay, this is what this is really about. And it's, and I'm accurate. I get that. And it's a, it's confirming that to me. I, I prayed very strongly uh, after I was told, you know, some of these things about the treaty line, about the Indians and these things. And I felt very strongly that God showed me beyond a shadow of any doubt. People did die on my property. They were murdered on my property. And it was uh, Indians had murdered some of the white people. And I, I felt that that was confirmed to me very strongly. But th there was no one buried on my property. And the crazy part, um, I even found an article from an, an old newspaper article that even stated that people people from both sides had accidentally crossed the treaty line when they were hunting or things like that. And um, like white settlers would wander across and the Indians would kill them. And then a little Indian boy was hunting and got lost and ended up on the other side of the treaty line and some guy killed him, you know, so there's murder going both ways, but on my property, it was more the Indians uh, murdering, murdering the settlers because it was their side of the treaty line. So I felt very strongly this really did happen and that the curse that was pronounced over the land was that really did happen too. And when I was told about the curse that was pronounced over the land, I looked into some things and I found out, you know, the, you know, a lot of people think Tecumseh was a Christian and then, and all this. No, he was not. He absolutely was not. He cursed people like crazy. And so did his brother. And, um, he, they, they would not take part in the Greenville Treaty. And they convinced people to start, they convinced the Indians to start rebelling and not going along with the treaty they had already signed, already been paid for, you know. So um, the reason I say that is, you know, uh, th those things really did happen. Tecumseh is who, I, I cover this in the book, Tecumseh is who pronounced the 20-year curse, as it's called, or the zero-year curse, on American presidents. And he, he, he said out loud, he cursed William Henry Harrison and said that when he becomes the great chief, that's what he called their, the president, he will die in office and everyone elected uh, 20 year and in the 20th year after him will die in office. 
Well, it wasn't until after Tecumseh was dead that William Henry Harrison was elected. And he died in office, not, and if I remember right, not long after he was elected. Every president since then, up to Ronald Reagan, uh, that was elected in a year ending in a zero, uh, every one of them died in office. Some were elected in a year not ending in a zero and then were reelected in a year ending in a zero and died in their second term in office. And with Ronald Reagan, I believe the difference was I know that Derek Prince and some other deliverance ministers, when he got elected, they were like, this curse is real. And they prayed over him and broke the curse. The curse is so strong. He still got shot. You know, uh, George right. Bush Jr. was elected in 2000. Uh, he um, still had a grenade thrown at him. It was a live grenade and it didn't go off. But somebody there was a very you know strong attempt to take him out. So even though the curse was broke, the, the demons will still try to make things happen, you know. But um, there, I say all that to say the Indians were good at cursing people. They know what they're doing. They, they knew exactly what they were doing. And if you go back, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys know the story of uh, Mothman in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Same thing. Right. That whole area was cursed by Chief Cornstalk. He was murdered, and as he lay dying, he cursed the whole area. And that's that area not only has Mothman, it has the Silver Bridge collapse, horrible coal mining disasters with terrible fatalities, um, plane crashes, on and on it goes, you know. And I personally believe that Mothman and all of that came direct, was directly related to that curse. But um, as it turned out, um, you know, once I knew in 2009 – you know, at the end of the year, now I found out, you know, there that's what I didn't know this whole time. So me and the the girl that I they contacted me on Facebook, what I didn't what I didn't get to yet. When I started talking to her, you know, it turned out her husband was adopted by an Amish family, never joined the Amish church. But he uh had been raised just down the road from where I lived and he knew the whole story. And he said, the Amish told me cause I was raised by them, but they will never tell you this. He said that land was all cursed. He said their ancestors were there when the Indians were there. And so they know about it. And, you know, because the Amish are very tight knit, they pass down stories generation to generation. That's how he knew about it. So I felt like that was kind of divine intervention that God put those people on my path. And then the two of them ended up helping me do an exorcism on the property. And uh, from the time we did that exorcism in December of 2009, uh, the activity stopped and the house ended up selling uh, beginning of January. The, the uh, buyers contacted me and, uh, you know, I was I was within 60 days of the day we did the exorcism. The the sale had closed. It was all final, and I had moved. So things went together very quickly. Considering up to that point, I'd had the house on the market for two years and ten months. So, um, yeah. you know, during the time though when I was there for all those years before that, I mean it was it was horrible. There was a. Uh, there were times I saw like a, one time in particular, I saw a black mass pass right through the room. And when I saw it, I saw it out of my peripheral vision to my right. 
I was looking straight ahead. My two cats, Moses and Zoe, were sitting to my left. When I saw this thing go zip through the room, it, it just passed right through the room off to my right. I saw both of my cats' heads look up and go from right to left following the trajectory of that. So I knew you didn't imagine this. You saw it. They saw it. You know, I had one night as I was getting closer to finding out the whole secret of the land, I got messed with worse. The attacks escalated the closer I got to finding out, you know, how to deal with it. And one night, it's the funniest thing. I was watching a video from a preacher named Perry Stone and the video was called purging your house. And I, I had ordered it because I was trying to figure out what to do to get rid of this. And I got up and went to the restroom. And in the, this is in the middle of the night. And out of the blue, I mean, my doors were like solid oak doors, okay? Out of the blue, I hear knock, knock on the bathroom door. Okay, I lived alone. There's no way my cats came and knocked on my door. Like this felt like somebody knocking loudly on the door. And it was completely unexpected. I, I started to say what? Like somebody knocks on the door at your house, you know, like the bathroom door. You say what? You know, I started to say what? And then it was like my mind's racing and I'm thinking nobody's here. Nobody could have come in the house because the door's locked and the security system's armed. My mom would not have just shown up and not called or something and she wouldn't be here in the middle of the night like this. You know, so my mind's racing all these thoughts very quickly. And I started, I started saying, I rebuke you in Jesus name. I bind you in Jesus name. Get out of my house. That's what I'm saying. But I'm literally yelling it. And all that's coming out is I rebuke you in Jesus name, like a whisper. I'm so scared that my throat is so tight. All that's coming out is a whisper. So you talk about... <laughs> You talk about scared. And I remember thinking, I, okay, I'm just staying in the bathroom until the sun comes up. What time does the sun come up? That's what I'm thinking, you know? And then I was like, um, I can't do that. I have to go out. What if somebody really is in my house? So I dug through the closet and I found a pair of barber shears. So I got a pair of scissors and I'm like, I'll stab somebody if they're in my house. Um, I went to open the bathroom door and as I was like putting my hand on the door handle, I was like, okay, wait a second. You have to make sure no matter what, you have to have this cemented in your mind. I don't care what you see when you open this door. I don't care if you see a hooded figure. I don't care what it is. You can't run from it. You have to run at it and you have to be using scripture and, and taking authority over it no matter how scared you are. So I like, I'm cementing this in my mind, like no matter what, this is what I'm going to do. I open the door. There's nothing. I go into my bedroom. I call my mom and I, I got the cordless phone and I said, Hey, um, listen to what just happened. And I told her what happened. And I said, um, I'm going to search this whole house top to bottom and make sure somebody's not here. But um, I said, I'm taking my shotgun. So I'm getting my shotgun out and I'm trying to find my shells. And I said, man, I can't find my shells. And my mom said, you're not going to need them. It's not a person. And I said, I know that, but I still have to do it. I ended up finding my shells, loaded up my double barrel. I said, mom, stay on the phone because if somebody's in my house, 
I'm going to hang up and I don't know if I'm going to have time to call 911. So you do it because I'm going to be fighting or shooting or whatever, you know. And uh, I went through that whole house, even the closets, even all the way down into the basement in a closet we had in the basement and there was nothing. There were no footprints leading away from the house. The doors were locked. The security system was armed. That was a very uh, unnerving situation. Um, in the book, I share some of the other really messed up details leading up to that that really makes me feel like the Amish had something to do with that as well. But uh, I had so many experiences in the house, you know, like, I mean, seeing, I remember one night I'm, I'm at the kitchen sink and I would drink apple cider vinegar and, and water before I went to bed. So I'm, I'm at the sink and it's pitch black outside. I'm standing in my kitchen and I have an overhead light like slightly behind me. So when I look at the window at behind the sink, it looks almost like a mirror. I mean, I can see my reflection plain as day, you know. So I mix up my right. concoction. I tip my head back to drink it. And when I tip my head back, I just look forward. I'm looking right at the window. I saw over my left shoulder like a black mass, like a black figure. I mean, it's hard to describe. It was, it was just like black and it disappeared. Like when I saw it, it disappeared moving downward. And I was like, okay, I know I saw that, you know, but I mean, these are the kind of things I experienced there. Sometimes you would just feel a very evil presence. Um, there was a group that came to the house from a local church and the church, I'm going to be honest, I don't mean to say something negative about them, but they were kind of strange. Um, I had been referred to uh, an evangelist from their church and he was a pretty nice guy and all, but the pastor I was kind of at odds with. And I told him, I told this guy about the house. He even stopped out at the house and experienced the paranormal multiple times while he was there. And, and I covered like exactly what he experienced in the book. It was pretty messed up stuff. So he says, well, come to the church and we're going to pray for you. And then we'll come out to your house and help you. Well, I go to the church and I'm sitting there and the beginning of the service seems pretty nice. They're singing some worship music I liked and things. And, and then all of a sudden they start chanting and I'm not making this up. This is exactly what happened. They started chanting uh, we cut off the devil's head and we eat his head for bread. And I'm I'm sitting there and I'm looking at everybody. I'm looking around like, what is the matter with you people? This is, why would you do that? You know? And then I come to find out that what they had done was they kind of advertised far and wide that we're going to have a live exorcism because they were convinced that my house was haunted because I was possessed. So that's basically, uh, you know, that's how they they went about this. So they end up calling me up front to the church, to the front of the church. And they're, they're like trying to get me to confess like everything I've ever done in my life. And it's like there's stuff I've been long forgiven of. And you want me to talk to you, a bunch of strangers about it? I mean, that, you know, that's crazy, you know. But um, I went along with it as much as I could. And eventually they agreed to come. Some of the people from the church agreed to come to the house. And I felt again, like they kind of advertised, Hey, who wants to come to a haunted house, you know? And, uh, but when they came to the house, there was one lady that came with the group. And I think she was legit. 
and she told me that she had a gift of discerning of spirits. Now, she did not know all the stories, all my stories. She knew, you know, I'm sure they told her a little bit, but we're standing in the house and I kept asking them, will you guys please walk the property with me? I want to walk the whole property and pray over it and anoint it. I knew that had to be done. And uh, they they kept putting it off because there was a bunch of people that wanted to come and they couldn't do it on certain days, whatever. So the night they end up showing up, it poured down rain. So they didn't want to walk the property. But we're standing in the kitchen area and uh, somebody suggests, well, let's just pray first. So we're praying. And that lady says, I know its name. It's telling me its name. Do you want to know its name? And I said, yeah, what's its name? And she said, it calls itself the doorkeeper. Well, when she said that, I was like, okay, number one, if you've been involved in exorcisms at all, you know, there is usually a gatekeeper demon that you got to deal with when a person is possessed. There'll be a strong man that's in charge of everybody and there'll be a gatekeeper. Occasionally, There'll be the one demon will be both, but usually there's a gatekeeper and a strong man. The gatekeeper brings in more demons or when you're trying to cast them out, he'll let the lesser, less powerful ones uh, leave to try to fool you. So I knew all about that. So I was like, okay, this is a doorkeeper. I'm sure it's the same thing, but that's what it's calling itself in my house. Um, she said, um, I mean, she told me multiple things that all made perfect sense. And we, she said, let's get down to the basement. So we get down to the basement. And there was this crack underneath the front door of the house and the basement wall that went from top to bottom. It's, it appeared right before the house was completely finished. We had repaired it repeatedly and it would keep coming back. She walks over to that crack and she says, what's underneath or what's what's right above this? And I said, the front door. And she said, this is significant. We go back upstairs. She goes right into the foyer to the front door. Now, she did not know all the, I had a lot of experiences involving the front door. And uh, she moved her hand back and forth like, like if you were ushering someone in. And she said, they come and go through here. And at that point, I mean, the, that was the most productive thing of that whole experience with them coming to the house was, I knew one of the demons names. They really didn't. They prayed for me at the house, but it really, I was like, okay, great. That's nice. But I know we have to walk this property and cast out what's here. They wouldn't do it. So when they left, I called my mom. She's three counties away from me, you know? And I said, well, the demons didn't go anywhere. The stuff's still here, but I know one of them's name. And I said, it's a huge puzzle piece in this whole, this whole puzzle I'm dealing with. And I told her about the doorkeeper and I said, you know, all these experiences, it all makes sense now. And she said, well, I'm coming out to see you. You're not going to be there all by yourself after learning that kind of stuff. So she comes out, drives three counties to come out to see me. And, uh, while she was there that night, she had experiences you know, she actually saw, she stayed downstairs and I went on up to bed when it, you know, later on. And, uh, before, before I'd even gone to bed, I was upstairs in the bathroom 
And I came back downstairs and I said, do you want any lights left on? And she's sitting there in, in the room we called the great room. It had a vaulted ceiling in the fireplace. And that was the room I was in when I had seen that black mass pass right through the house. And she was sitting there and she said, do you have any of those door stops right around here that get like a spring? And if you flick them, they say they go boing. I said, yeah, there's one right behind the door. Why, why did the cats hit it? And she said, no, the cats weren't anywhere around. She said, I was sitting here and something flicked that, that doorstop. And I said, how, how long ago did that happen? And she said about five minutes. Well, the interesting part, I had not even told her yet. Five minutes earlier, I was upstairs in the bathroom and I felt the floor shaking. So I asked her, I said, do you want any lights left on down here? I'm going to bed. And she said, yeah, leave the lights on underneath the, uh, the cupboards. I had like lights that were mounted underneath the cupboards. And uh, so I went over and, you know, made sure those were on and I went on up to bed. She told me the next morning that she was sitting in that chair and she saw that back black mass pass right through the same way I saw it, but it was going the opposite direction. She saw it pass right through the house. So there were more people than me that had experiences there. Um, my sister saw a full body apparition in the yard the one day and my dog saw it. My dog was freaking out and Lori was there by herself. And, uh, she went out my back patio door and went around the corner and, and my dog Maggie was out back in her kennel. I bought a huge kennel for my dogs out back. And Maggie was just, Maggie had like, a, I know, I know dogs can see and hear things we can't, but I always felt like Maggie was special and she had extra gifts because she knew things and she, she could discern things. I always felt like that. And Maggie was freaking out. And, uh, my sister looks at her and she says, it's just me, Maggie. And she turns to go around the corner and she's looking down and she glances up and she saw a guy standing in the yard on, on the hill, like beside the driveway. And he was in like clothes from like, you know, centuries ago. And she said she did a double take because she wasn't expecting to see him and there was, he wasn't there. And she said, there's no way he could have got up into the field. There's no way. It was a split second and he was gone. So there were, you know, there was a lot of activity there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it was a creepy, it was a creepy place to live. You know, it was not a fun place to be there alone. I mean, you would have your times where things were kind of peaceful and quiet, but then out of the blue, something would happen again. It's always like that. It doesn't, it just, you know, it just pops off and then it just starts a whole round of crap. Yeah. Yeah. It'll lull you to sleep thinking everything's fine. It's been two months, no activity. And all of a sudden, and you don't even really, re you don't stop and go, hey, it's been two months and something happened. You're just thinking everything's cool. It's calmed down. And then boom. And then you start thinking about it. Yeah, it's been two months. And then that happened, you know. Okay, folks. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, tune into the next episode where I return with my guests and with Barton Nunley. And thank you for listening to PRT. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Good night. Mm -hmm.